Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Chris Trofolino. I'm an editor at Gestalt IT. Joining me from not very far away, actually, uh, in, a, in a very narrow distance across this great nation of ours, is the one, the only, Josh Fidel. Josh, thanks for being here. How you doing, Rich? Great to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to get this started with one of our favorite segments on the show. It's really the only segment we do. So I guess by default, it's my favorite. It's a little something we like to call news or not. This is where there's there's just too much news out there to go into a full discussion on each one. So we're going to ask Josh if they are news or perhaps not and get a one or two cents rebuttal. First up here, Mozilla announced it's uh, it's starting to switch Firefox browser users to Cloudflare's encrypted DNS over HTTPS uh, by default and roll out the changes across the United States in the coming weeks. The company says that this will help prevent ISPs and third parties from seeing what DNS lookups a browser is making and monitoring customers' web usage to deliver targeted ads, which fun fact, they do. Firefox will offer a choice between Cloudflare and NextDNS for a DNS over HTTPS, but that Cloudflare will be used as the default. So, Josh, news or not? News. Uh, it's news for a number of reasons. Uh, okay, Mozilla, Mozilla Foundation, great history of standing up for consumers. Uh, you know, good for you guys. Uh, here, here's my concern. My concern is they're putting DNS over HTTPS and they're giving it to two providers, one of which will be your default. Um, Okay, that's cool. But what if bad actors gain control of either of those things? You know, either Mozilla gets taken over by bad people, Cloudflare gets taken over by bad people. It's it's a eggs in a basket thing. Yeah, it would be nice if they opened that up and provided some sort of, you know, standard interface for anyone to sign up to kind of be the option. I, I, you know, like I realize they have to have one default cloud for it makes sense right now for that to be that default, but yeah, give people choice down the road. I think next I up here, uh, Google plans to move UK user accounts under us jurisdiction as a result of the UK leaving the EU. You may have heard something about it. Google told Reuters the protections of the UK GDPR will still apply to these users. Interestingly, uh, UK user data is kept in Ireland, part of the EU, which would make it more difficult to recover in cases of criminal investigation. The recent US Cloud Act makes it easier for British authorities to obtain data from US companies. Josh, news or not? News. Uh, I don't know if you saw my expression there, but it was basically... Um, you know, it, Google used to have a saying, right? Don't be evil. Uh, their new motto is for Google customers, don't be stupid, right? Um, giving the UK access to American legal system. I mean, the UK used to have a lot more data protection as a member of the EU. Uh, now that's been stripped away. Even though the data is in Ireland, which is in the EU, GDPR does still apply. But if they're coming through the American legal system, does it really apply? I, I It seems shady and underhanded to me. I mean, it will give European consumers, right, at least a legal framework for recourse for like the right to be forgotten and that kind of stuff. It does beg some questions about maybe the long-term implications of that. And I think the Cloud Act in general has uh, maybe been a little underreported in the tech press in terms of maybe some of the implications. Admittedly, it's 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 
internationally fairly narrow in a lot of ways, but uh, and, it, and it gets kind of wonky in policy in a lot of ways. But um, I think we're starting to see, obviously, the implications of that um, with this recent announcement. Uh, in other Google news, uh, Google announced it recently subsumed the its Chronicle security subsidiary that was part of Alphabet. It's formally brought into Google under Google Cloud Stewardship, and that Chronicle is now getting Yara L support for real-time rule execution. It's also getting intelligent data fusion to automatically link security events into a single timeline and support for third-party integrations with an announced partnership with Palo Alto Networks. All of this was announced at RSA conference. They're also announced that the Recapture Enterprise and WebRisk APIs are going uh, GA. Uh, they were in preview for quite some time. News or not here, Josh? I'm going to go with nah on this one. I mean, okay, it's cool, but it's it's a corporate niche play. Or if you're in security, maybe it's news. But to the general public, nah. Yeah, and and it has to be pointed out that Chronicle, while has some good tech behind it, and you know, being now part of Google Cloud gives them a wider potential audience, still is really small in the overall kind of cloud and and web security kind of game. Uh, you know, just need to point that out. Uh, in other security news, McAfee announced they acquired Lightpoint Security, a browser isolation company founded in 2010 by former NSA security researchers. Their solution puts web pages in a cloud-based sandbox and then streams what is essentially footage of that content to a user browser. It seems like the most brute force way to do this, but interesting at the same time. McAfee plans to integrate it into its unified Cloud Edge enterprise platform. Streaming web pages for McAfee, news or not here, Josh? Nah, congratulations, you've created a sandbox. Good job. <laughs> and you're, you're streaming video of web pages and what will assuredly be a wonderful, laggy experience. And finally, it wouldn't be the Gestalt IT rundown if we didn't have some nerdy chip news. And this comes uh, from SNEA, of all places. Uh, ending the compute uh, ending. I, I wrote a pun headline and now I've just blown it twice here. Ended the compute bus wars have. There's third time's the charm. Last week, SNEA chair Alex McDonald announced that AMD, ARM, and IBM have joined Intel on the Compute Express Link high speed interconnect standard. This leaves competing standards like Gen Z, Open uh, CAPI, and CCIX without major CPU backing, although they, they do have some you know prominent industry supporters still at this point. CXI looks like it could speed the disaggregated and composable infrastructure movement that we're already seeing seeing in the in kind of maybe the hyperscaler space and starting to explore into larger enterprises, allowing separate system components like storage, memory, and graphics to do more direct compute and offload performance from the CPU. Interconnect piece in our time, Josh, news or not? This is news. Uh, <laughs> getting any of these companies to agree on a standard is amazing. Um, and, the, and the fact that they're all kind of throwing their weight behind it Awesome. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I I want to see how they're going to utilize the tech in the future. If, if you can give me, you know, disaggregated everything, disaggregated compute, memory, storage, GPU, and, and, and I'm just sliding trays of this stuff in and out of a data center somewhere or, you know, some cloud providers doing this. That's huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, um, I do wonder how this will affect uh, like PCIe um, um, composable infrastructure companies. I'm thinking specifically of Liquid that we've heard from uh, with Tech Field, and we've had briefings with with Gestalt IT. You know, they they kind of have like a big PCIe switch, and everything kind of runs through there. I do wonder how this interconnect will interplay with those types of companies. If this is something that can be built on top of that, or if that's a, a totally different standard, I won't pretend to understand the engineering of CXI. It is exciting though that you know. Uh, basically every major uh, CPU provider is on board with it, at least in principle. 
yeah, which also makes me wonder, is it really the best technology if everybody backs it? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what comes out of it. Uh, yeah, I, I just and, wow. And standards like CCXI do have like a lot of industrial backing from like more industrial IoT players and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it may be that this is for the data center, and this is maybe even on a consumer level may see some impact on it. Maybe I don't know, uh, but you know, there may be other standards for more industrial manufacturing, more specific niche use cases uh, that could not even provide competition, but provide an alternative technical path if CXI ends up being like a tech dead end somewhere down the road. All right, next right, right. And one of my own biases is I think of things in terms of data center, cloud, uh, IoT. I mean, yeah, I don't know if this will be a good standard for IoT. If there are other industries pushing different standards, the problem is the fragmentization of the industry and, and what that's going to mean for consumers. Absolutely. First up here, though, on our full discussion slate, uh, we have is Intel. Hey, they still do 5G things. There was a lot of hay made that they sold their 5G modem business or basically uh, said they got out of it and sold the scraps of whatever was left. Uh, but they do make a ton of uh, uh, like network infrastructure chips. And I mean, basically every switch runs some sort of Intel processor on the inside uh, to a large degree. And they're definitely still in the 5G game, just kind of more in that back end space. Uh, they announced a number of new products along those lines. First up is second generation Xeon scalable processors, uh, offering 36% better performance than first gen, but interestingly, coming in network-optimized SKUs that offer 58% better performance in network function virtualization. Workloads, super important for carriers and that kind of stuff. You also have their first uh, SoC for 5G base stations, the Atom P5900. Interesting that they are using the Atom brand uh, under that. I think this is their first update on that in a number of years. It's a 10 nanometer chip that includes hardware-based network acceleration features, including integrated packet processing, ultra-low latency, and a switch for inline cryptographic acceleration, which I think is is maybe the most significant there, offering 5.6 times packet security throughput compared to software-only solutions. Intel also announced the Ethernet 700 series, which is a 5G-optimized network adapter card line aimed to provide ultra-low latency 100 nanosecond phase accuracy for 5G uh, service synchronization. Again, this is all back-end stuff, but super important to have that be, you know, if you're going to have super fast 5G networks, you need to have that latency as low as possible. Uh, very important to have that kind of hardware were in there. They also announced a new eASIC, which can be customized, provide high performance uh, uh, on very specific workloads that could be, you know, per client base. That wasn't, the announcement didn't make that sound like that was specifically 5G. Intel is no secret, wants to get into ASICs. They've invested billions and billions of dollars into numerous companies that make ASICs. So, no surprise there. Intel got out of the 5G modem space, but aggressive in handling this backend market. Uh, you know, is this the the future of Intel 5G? And is, is this maybe uh, a way for them to kind of diversify their portfolio further here, Josh? So, yes, they are diversifying my, their portfolio. And, and my thoughts on this are Intel has been hit so much lately uh, I, I think we all know, you know, you got the Spectrum, you got the Grim, uh, the exploits that are just tearing apart their data center business. AMD is eaten into them with, you know, hey, they're down to 7.5 nanometers now. Um, Intel needs a play. It needs a stronger play. Is the 5G space where they're going to go? The thing that really caught my eye in this was the Atom processor. I think Intel is acknowledging that low power smaller distributed, like massively distributed uh, 5G access points are going to be a thing. Uh, if, if they were doing work with Adam, there's a reason for it. Um, the network card, okay, cool. But until I start seeing it build into everything, I'm not really going to be mind blown. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, Asics. Interesting. Yeah, Asics. Uh, you know, I, I've been kind of beating that Asics FPGA drum uh, for Intel, and 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 like for me, it's not like I'm. I, I think they have like a path for success. I, Intel absolutely needs to be on the ground as much on the ground floor as they can be, given the current state of the market. Um, given that we're starting to see, you know, kind of maybe that the market slide from you know uh, just buy a bunch of GPUs and slap them in a box to okay, we need even more specialized hardware for you know ML AI and that kind of stuff. So the you know the Asics stuff is interesting on on that level. It's also a much wider market. It, it, it's it's part of a larger piece for them. Um, I agree, though, that that seeing that Adam, um, hey, don't stick a, a full power Xeon in everything is a good move for them. And, and adding in more specific uh, uh, functions to that chip, I think, is interesting. Uh, I just like seeing the, the Adam name out there. I have fond memories of all the terrible netbooks that I had that ran Adam processor. So hopefully they will be a more satisfying experience uh, in the 5G backend and, and definitely have applications for, Maybe. for, for all those edge sites that uh, will surely be out there with terrible millimeter wave coverage. All right. Next up here, uh, Josh, let's go back in time. Let's, let's spin up the time machine here. We all remember 2018. It was a simpler time. Avengers Infinity War was tearing up the box office. The kids were tapping their toes to Ed Sheeran. And Microsoft introduced us to a preview of a little IoT service called Azure Sphere. All these two years later, Microsoft announced this week that Azure Sphere is going GA. If you're not familiar with it, it's an interesting approach to the IoT security problem, with Microsoft essentially offering a vertical integration from certified microcontrollers running a Linux-based Azure Sphere OS. Still sounds weird to say Linux with Microsoft. Uh, these are all integrated into a Sphere cloud service to provide authentication, threat response, and on-device and application failure information, basically feeding everything into the cloud from this very secure pipeline. Microsoft currently only certifies the MediaTek MT3620 microcontroller for the service, but is working with NXP and, uh, and a cellular option from Qualcomm as well for, for more mobility-based solutions for Azure Sphere as well. MS has seen Sphere preview customers using it across consumer, retail, and manufacturing applications, and using the board's kind of a trusted IoT game gatekeeper for less secure devices, kind of putting that as, um, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, like a hardware firewall in front of other devices. That's like a terrible metaphor, but it's the best way to sum it up really quickly. It's kind of a vertical stack approach, or I'm sorry. So Josh, is this kind of vertical stack approach the only way to secure IoT for the enterprise? No, (laughs) but (laughs) what would be required is... (laughs) No, um, but what but what is required is that IoT vendors actually start taking security seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Um, <laughs> and, and, but <laughs> but then at the same time, you know, I, I've, I've got an IoT sensor that's about the size of my my water bottle cap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that's my IoT sensor, and then in comes Microsoft with their Azure Sphere and. It's about the size of a pack of cards. Uh, this is my cell phone. It's a little bit bigger. But taking this form factor to that form factor, I don't get it. <laughs> I, 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 it kind of does lose the like the 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 reason like IoT takes off is because it's small and conspicuous, cheap. It seems like when you when you add this kind of certification, you add this hardware layer, and then tying it into an expensive cloud service. I mean, yes, it adds a lot of functionality, a lot of security, but also adds in a lot of problems at the same time, right? From, from I, yeah, it's just, it's... A complication, not problems, it, I mean, oh, Complexity, complexity, absolutely. Um, I mean, props to Microsoft. 
They see a problem. They're trying to solve it. I'm just not sure that the way they're trying to solve it is the best possible way. I, I'd rather see IoT vendors who, well, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason there's a, a an internet of. Eh, can I swear? My <laughs> no, please, please, Josh, keep it PG. Yeah, I- I- internet of of fecal matter mm. account on Twitter, <laughs> right? There's, it's yeah. It's it's iOS, not IoT. Um, but yeah, it's it, props to Microsoft. They're doing something, which is more than I've seen out of a lot of vendors. But, you know, who's who's going to win? And and I think the the difference here is that the, the problem IoT gets in is that it's super cheap and relatively easy to deploy, like as like a proof of concept or just to get started with it. And then you start realizing that's like, oh, I have all of these compute points that I need to secure, that I need to monitor, that I have all these problems with. Yes, it was super cheap to get into it, but now I'm in way over my head and I have to kind of retcon in, uh, you know, some sort of system to monitor it if you're not planning it out centrally, like kind of from the get go. This comes across as a much more expensive option. So you're not just going to do this willy nilly. This is going to be part of a a much wider build. But if you're in a more secure setting where you have stringent security standards, it's Microsoft. You know, they're going to be certified with, you know, with all sorts of security standards for Azure Sphere down the road if they're not already. Um, So and, and, and that's the reason I think it's significant that they're very slow. They're slow rolling certifying these microcontrollers to make sure everything is nailed down from a security standpoint as much as possible. I mean. I, I, again, I appreciate the approach. Is it for everybody? Probably not. But, uh, you know, a good way. I think this is an interesting way to uh, to put out a hardware presence that justifies even more cloud spend from their customers. And that's good for Microsoft's bottom line. We'll see if it's good for customers if they adopt it. All right. Next up here uh, in other. Um, OK, I, I do have to. Oh, good. No, go ahead, Josh. What, what, what'd you have? I, I was just going to say, you know, Microsoft's. Microsoft has never really been a hardware company, except till lately. Yeah. They've got you know the the Surface Pros, the the the, uh, the Surface, just I forget what it's called, the Surface Art big huge pad. Yeah. Microsoft's <laughs> making some pretty serious inroads to hardware. They're making inroads to hardware. This is a, another step on that. Interesting. Will it live or will they kill it like Google? I don't know. Uh, another thing we'll have to see, will it live? Uh, Cisco unveiled a new cloud-native security platform uh, called SecureX. There is going to be a lot of buzzword bingo here, so please bear with me. It's designed to provide workflow automation and analytics for better security visibility. This will show information from a variety of Cisco security and third-party solutions, looking at data across endpoints, cloud, network, and applications, basically where you'd want to look at security. This is designed for easy integration down the road with a connector framework with a low-code drag-and-drop in interface so theoretically you don't need to have a whole team of developers to kind of get going with it it's due out in june and will ship with every cisco security product going forward is cisco's security single pane of glass too good to be true josh i think we all know the joke by now single pane of glass equals single glass of pain um it's it's a control plane play right It, it is if, if you buy into our security ecosystem, we'll give you this nice shiny thing to put on top of it so you can show your executives and it has pretty <laughs> colors and flashing lights and executives like that. Um, does it really address an issue? Yeah, if you're running an entire Cisco ecosystem, but as a control plane, it doesn't really do that much for me if I can't integrate my my Palo Alto, my Arista VPC connections. I mean, you're seeing more and more companies going to direct to cloud connections, right? 
why would I need this if, if that's what I'm doing? It, you know, I, I don't, I don't get, I understand it. I just don't think it's like a huge growth opportunity for Cisco. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, it really does come down to how they're going to roll out those third party solutions and third party support is great in principle and, you know, good for Cisco to build that in from the launch. However, you know, I, I think there are practical limitations to what we can expect, you know, from certified third party vendors. Are they going to be doing direct competitors and, and, and that kind of stuff? I'm a lot more dubious if that's the case. I mean, maybe if it's an open API framework and anyone can plug into anything, you could develop, you know, an organization could develop it. Although that, again, maybe defeats the purpose of it being a low code, you know, kind of uh, much more simplified interface. You know, like it, it gets to the point of if you're going to do that, you could have done this necessarily without SecureX. Again, good that it's built in across their network. It, it's another it's another security draw. And I'm I'm happy with anything that adds visibility. You know, if this can add visibility to a security framework, get people to start thinking uh, comprehensively across a wide spectrum of sources about security, that is a good thing. Uh, ultimately, down the road, whether you know it, you you whether you still are going to have to you know dig into individual device menus, you know, once you get a security notification to actually take any kind of action, that's the kind of thing we're going to have to see how SecureX uh, ends up in deployment. Um, you know, definitely not a bad thing. It, it's kind of one of those. Okay, they release this. We'll wait and see what the reception is from the audience and how they iterate on it and expand those uh, third parties down the road. They're going to build AI into it, and it will <laughs> automatically respond to all threats for you. You won't need security people anyway. Sorry. Yeah, we've completed the buzzword bingo. You can clear your card. Yeah, woo start, we'll start a new round. All right, and we're going to finish off here with with a, a pretty cool story uh, that I saw. This was kind of. So the first I had ever heard of kind of this idea, and I'm, I'm Josh, I'm interested in your thoughts. Uh, Boris Rensky, the co-founder of OpenStack and Mirantis, so some you know some some pretty big projects uh, in uh, in Kubernetes and kind of uh, you know OpenStack uh, maybe falling from prominence, but at one point the new hotness launched FreedomFi, uh, which is not Freedom Fries. I just need to say this: uh, FreedomFi, which will use open source tech to build out private 4G networks running on the recently opened Citizens Broadband radio service. Uh, CBRS uses 150 megahertz in the 3.5 gigahertz band, providing four times the range and coverage of typical Wi-Fi or millimeter wave 5G, just for kind of a reference there. The backbone of this will be the Evolve Packet Core, an open source SDN project for 4G, which will enable API-driven private LTE networks on open spectrum Pretty sure you got another buzzword, bingo. Rensky says the next two years, we'll see a lot of experimentation in this space. So, you know, doesn't sound like they're ready to announce like a huge list of, uh, of big corporate partners and uh, proof of concepts quite yet. But he likens it to the early days of private cloud, something he knows quite about a bit with OpenStack. Josh, how can private LTE networks shake things up kind of in this enterprise mobility space? Well, when you add in IoT. Um... <laughs> Drink. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, th this is interesting to me. Um, it, what he's building is a tool, and that tool is distributed network access. That's really cool. The question becomes, is, he, is this tool going to be used as a, a, a corporate tool and only corporations will have access to it? Will this be built as an open tool for society so that people who, hey, I can't afford to pay my cell phone bill, I don't have my cellular data, but I can connect to this open source LTE. And then there, there's, you know, who's who's going to maintain this? It, it leads to a lot of questions. I love the idea. 
I want to see how it's executed. Yeah, the the Linux hippie in me says that this is kind of the next evolution of maybe neighborhood mesh networks or that kind of stuff where, you know, you can set up something with a much wider range. Uh, you can use, uh, you know, white box hardware. You're not needing to pay for the spectrum. The spectrum is provided. And I, I mean, the, the only question is, if this takes off on a corporate sense, you know, if, if individual companies are kind of building their own LTE networks, I do wonder, you know, 150 megahertz, I, I don't know for context how big of a, of a, a, a swath of network access that is. And whether that could be saturated to the point where, it, you know, it's all uh, the the interesting part about this is that a lot of these open source projects, all of the the uh, broadband management that's kind of managed uh, by openly expanded APIs, right? So theoretically, that's all being, man- you know, uh, you're making sure everybody's kind of getting their own bit of the bandwidth in software. I do wonder if that has any limits if everybody's jumping on this because it's free. Now, given that everyone is theoretically going to be, you know, we have the 5G evolution takeover that's going to AI all the things, uh, and we're going to be doing robot surgery um, from 10,000 miles away by doctors or from the moon or something like that. Uh, maybe the the interesting thing to me is because 4G is no longer like the production uh, mo- mobility network, right? This can kind of have like this more background utility access where, okay, we don't need super high speeds, but... Hey, let's mention IoT again. Seems like the perfect thing maybe to, you know, if you if you have your own private IoT 4G network that doesn't need to do with uh, move a ton of packets, um, but it, you know, you can you can move that across your own private network kind of mitigate a lot of the fears of moving that over more open standards. I also see this being super interesting for a lot of SD-WAN companies that are already, you know, building out, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, w- ways to very easily uh, integrate 4G points of presence, uh, you know, at, uh, at uh, like retail locations and that kind of stuff. Being able to kind of make that a private thing is is super interesting. And, um, you know, if you need a very secure but very mobile operation, could be very interesting as well. Food trucks. I could just see it being put into food trucks and, uh, hey, we have a direct connection to our supplier with our refrigerator IoT sensor. So anytime we're running low on hamburger bugs, it automatically orders some for us. I'm being facetious. Never mind. But I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, but also intrigued by the business possibilities of it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, I, I do hope because this is an open source project, we do see some cool innovation on this, just kind of on that that uh, like neighborhood hobbyist kind of level. But it also, I think, could have some applications uh, for you know anyone that wants to at a certain scale. If you can build this out and you know have your own uh, your own little private four G on your your campus, uh, it seems like it'll be a lot more efficient than building out Wi Fi everywhere. Which um, just talk to anyone that does <laughs> campus Wi Fi, uh, uh, tune into Mobility Field Day, and you will see heads being banged against the wall uh, for that sometimes. So uh, again, one of those we will wait and see. Cool idea though. I I I like these kind of stories. And, uh, right, you know, right. Boris Rensky uh, definitely has a track record for at least, uh, you know, kind of knowing, uh, seeing where technology is going. You know, Mirantis being a big uh, Kubernetes as a service player. Um, they bought Docker Enterprise. Uh, so, you know, we will we will see if his know-how can make this happen. Uh, FreedomFi is a weird name, though. I'm gonna just going to go ahead and say that. Yes. And, and, and here's another – something that's kind of tied to this is, you know, Elon Musk is going to shoot a bunch of satellites up into space and, and blanket the – blanket the planet with his, his satellite signals mm-hmm. where if he succeeds there, where's the play for this? Are yeah. these competing? 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it may be that this is like a lower tier of access at a certain level or, you know, it's like a failover um, kind of network that you could oh. use if, if you know, this, this 4G happens to be substantially slower than whatever Musk is putting up uh, into the space um, with this Tesla Roadster. Um, you know, we will just have to see. But Josh, that just about brings us to the end of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined? Uh, let's see. If they want to read some of my rants about technology and whatnot, uh, you can find me on Twitter at JCE Fidel. Um, I tend to post a lot of random things. Uh, if you want to read some blogs I'm working on writing, it's the vfidel.com, uh, the letter V Fidel. Um, sounds like infidel. Like that's why I chose it. Um, and, uh, you can catch me at tech field day. And, uh, if you want to hire me to be a brain for you, you can always go to advisix.com and, uh, hire my company and we'll come help you think it's what we do. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, you can find my stuff on gestaltit.com as always, and on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology. That's MR Anthropology. If you're watching this, remember we have a podcast feed just versus the Gestalt IT rundown in your podcatcher of choice. If you're listening to this, hey, we do this thing live on YouTube every Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Eastern time. So come join us at that time to search for Gestalt IT in the YouTube and you will find us. Uh, and we will see you next week, uh, Wednesday, 1230 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Josh, thanks once again for doing this really appreciate it and until the next time we meet for myself for josh i'm assuming from tom hollingsworth i'm just going to throw him out there and from all of us here the gestalt it family here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day